0: Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is a Swiss luxury watch manufacturer based in Schaffhausen, Switzerland. Known for its unique engineering approach to watchmaking, IWC combines the best of human craftsmanship and creativity with cutting-edge technology and processes. Discover the full collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the Blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at at The Block. Very excited for today's in-studio recording with none other than Avalab COO, Kevin Seknicki. You've got more style and swag in real life than I could have imagined (laughs) vis-a-vis Twitter. Although this isn't the first time we've met, but this is the first time maybe we've met in a more professional context where I'm going to... I'm just gonna ask you everything I've always wanted to know about Avalanche it's Frank you are a,
1: you are a beautiful man you are even Thank more you. beautiful during the day with your shorts on <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so you know I've been riding the bike into work so sometimes I bring a change of clothes yes after the long trek over the bridge but today I had to get here for another recording really early so I didn't have the bandwidth anyway they look
1: great exceptionally short but <laughs> <you know>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in any case. We both kind of joined our respective crypto houses, if you will, around the same time in 2018. I joined the block then, and you joined Ava Labs. And before that, you had an academic background. You did a little stuff at Microsoft, yes, a sir. little stuff at NASA.
1: Yes, JPL. Interesting. Yeah, but mostly academic stuff. And then straight into industry. When, uh, when I went to full time on, on Avalab stuff in 2018, yeah, early 2019.
0: Which was also during the bear market.
1: Very deep into it, yes.
0: And so now we're kind of in the midst of another one. What does it look like for Ava? You know, and Avalanche, you guys were among the three darlings, if you will, of this market cycle alongside Solana and Luna. One of, the, one of those is not doing <laughs> so hot, but everyone's no. down bad from a price perspective. What does that mean for the day-to-day operations, day-to-day mm-hmm. advancement of use cases on Avalanche?
1: I mean, these markets are very reflexive. When there is great price action, there is a lot of great user action as well. Obviously, with the lack of the price action in the markets in general, there tends to be a lot of less usage. And they just the, the, the nature of these reflexive markets. but So there's nothing we can do about it. The only thing, of course, we can do is is really just continue building all the use cases that we've been building. In the same way that we were building them in the bull market, we're going to build them in the bear market. And uh, the one thing that we did really well at Ava Labs was be pretty aggressive about not overexposing ourselves to costs during the bull market that we would not be prepared for in the bear market. We always expected the bear market to come. And uh, I'm finding out now that, shockingly, when when these new posts about companies laying off people, I'm just finding out just how many people they have, like crypto.com, thousand, like what for? 5,000 Like what what are they doing? It's like insane. So we never expanded that aggressively. We always expanded only when we needed things. And so we're exceptionally well positioned right now to continue building in the bear market without, in fact, continuing growth internal on the Ava Lab side. So we're focused deeply on a bunch of verticals on the DeFi side, more institutional onboarding on the DeFi side. Gaming is a big one. Uh, we've definitely lagged behind on the NFT side. So we're going to do a very big push on the NFT side and hopefully get a lot of exposure with new artists coming over. And then uh, hopefully new use cases that actually have product market fit So. Uh, these are the things that we have to rely on on the other smart people to come up with. But, you know, we're we're
0: trying to find them. So any smart people listening, there's the pitch. When you think about token price or the price of any digital asset tied to an ecosystem, yeah, how important is that for adoption of specific use cases? I saw on Twitter someone recently mused about how on a recent step-in run, or walk, obviously Sol- a Solana-based project. They made 34 cents in the native token of, of the application. And the person, I forget who who it was, said, you know, that would have been $150 a few weeks ago. The reason why I'm bring that up is because it raises an interesting question of how much do people actually want to use crypto <laughs> if the token prices aren't high? I tweeted about this the other day, which is Starting to think that this crypto stuff might only work if uh, you're making money.
1: (laughs) Yes and no. I mean, obviously, as I just mentioned, this market is reflexive. There is a lot of activity that happens only when there is excitement. Uh, When there's excitement, there is more speculation. Uh, When there's more speculation, there is more trading activity, and the trading activity ends up bringing a whole lot more uses to these chains. But I mean, I wouldn't say that In fact, if we are relying on price action to bring on users, I think that's a failure. I think we need to actually build products that, I mean, turns out that building products, they need to have real users that want to use them for a real reason. And who knew that projects need to have revenue (laughs) to to continue operating? Uh, I know, shocking, but uh, yeah, no, I think it has to be decoupled. Uh, Mm -hmm. Obviously, right now, they're still very coupled ecosystem projects, end up being really tied to the native gas token for a lot of layer ones. If anything, I probably would say all layer ones, and that's a bad coupling. The ideal case scenario is we enter a mode where there are lots of really interesting applications that people are using for any other reason besides the usual trading activity that usually goes on in crypto. It's not unusual. Obviously, look, it's, it's this market is very based on on trading. So there's nothing you can do about it. Price goes down and excitement goes down. But, yes, I mean, the big focus right now is just finding products with real product market fit. And although you know I know what the product market fit in a lot of these is, it's just that there is very little regulatory guidance and on a lot of these things, and they end up being generally out there without real, they do not really have any real use cases. There's a lot of like speculation around them. So mm. and that's just part of being handicapped by the lack of clarity and guidance on the regulatory side rather than like inability to find a product market fit.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lack of clarity from regulatory perspective. So I asked Stephen on our team whether or not I should be using Avalanche. And of he, said, he said, yes, you should because it's cheap enough for you. As you know, I uh, given given the state of my glasses, I, I, I've i been priced out of Ethereum, even in the bear market.
1: Wait a little bit longer, Ethereum will be cheap enough as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that raises an interesting question. When Ethereum is cheap enough, what does that mean for Avalanche, which kind of has this value proposition of, of affordability?
1: I'm not sure that it has necessarily. It's one of the things that it has going for it. It's not the only value proposition. But I mean, look, there is this misunderstanding that there is ever going to be a single chain that is going to be able to manage all of the world's capacity or demand for for block space. There's no such thing. There's a finite amount of block space. And Mm. it's kind of like adding roads between cities. If you add more roads, then more activity happens. And in which case you have more traffic happening. And so now you have to add more roads and so on you know, under the assumption that we're growing into, I mean, realistically, there is like maybe 1 million active on-chain users in all of crypto, across all chains, like monthly, like realistically speaking, not including a bunch of bots and stuff like that. And this is like the most, we're very far from being in the hundreds of millions of users, billions of users even. And when we get to that point, there's just not gonna be an Ethereum or an avalanche or a Solana in the world able to process all that activity in one day. So really what you need here, Is exceptionally good horizontal scalability. One way to do that is through independent chains with good bridges between them, and uh, you know other ways there are. You know, there's like L2s, there's subnets, and so on. But yeah, no, like the valid proposition is not just cheapness here. It's the cheapness comes and goes. The valid proposition here is just finality. It's faster. The experience for users is better. It's already proof of stake based rather than Ethereum being proof of work. Um, We'll see when the merge happens and what kind of usability people get. It's extremely fast. It's probably the fastest to finality of any other chain, certainly faster than Solana as well. And of course it can handle a lot of capacity, but ultimately even Avalanche can get very expensive, right? Like Mm -hmm. if everybody starts moving towards it, it also has a finite capacity. So ultimately chains should not have cheapness as their value proposition. In fact, like everybody should eliminate it as, as a value proposition. Chains are only cheap as long as the block space has not been filled up completely. Once block space gets filled up completely, it becomes expensive. And now you have to look at, at other things to, to use. So yeah, it's just it's just a matter of time before every chain. If it truly is really good to use and has a lot of activity, it's only a matter of time before it becomes expensive. So
0: yeah, that makes sense. Well, one other aspect of what makes Avalanche special mm-hmm. is this notion idea of subnets. Yeah. For people who are maybe unfamiliar yes. with this concept, what exactly is it? yeah? And why is it important to what distinguishes Avalanche?
1: Sure. So the simplest way to describe subnets, because they are fairly generic, is a subset of the Avalanche validators coming together and agreeing to do something. Now that seems very generic statement but it's quite literally what it is. So you select a subset of the validators or you allow open entry for any subset of the validators to come in and they get to decide to execute let's say a new virtual machine or you know run a new instance of the EVM and do something with it, right? So run a new chain, uh, run a new DAG based protocol, you know, they can do whatever they want. They can choose to only allow interaction with wallets that have been KYC'd. Or they can allow all interaction with uh, with anybody in the world. Anybody that comes in uh, can can interact with it. So it's a way to effectively have on-demand, horizontally scalable blockchains that anybody can spin up at any point, and you can leverage the existing validators of the Avalanche ecosystem to just kind of spin them up on, yeah. on the go.
0: But it also allows for a fine tuning of of like if I were to do a specific app chain. Yep, I could fine-tune yes, it based on the specif- parameters exactly. of who I want to
1: reach exactly in exactly. terms of an audience exactly you can for example say that validators only with uh, certain kind of hardware requirements can join you can specify anything you want it's a very generic chain that's what a subnet is it's a chain that says as long as you just define what the validators are otherwise you can define anything else that you want within your ecosystem and it's the nice thing about them and this is something that like it's it's subtle I view them as the proper scaling solution versus L2s because L2s end up creating extreme overhead that you don't really want. Mm. Um, And I can get into this if you want, into the differences between them because a lot of people don't really understand them, right? So let's start off with L2s. L2s are a scaling solution for Ethereum. Frankly, they're a scaling solution for Avalanche as well. In fact, they would work fantastically well on Avalanche. So an L2, the idea behind it is uh, instead of running an application on the Ethereum or Avalanche main chain, you run it on a separate chain with the added property that if should anything go wrong in that chain, you will eventually be able to settle things back on the base layer, the base chain, which is either Avalanche or Ethereum. This is sometimes known as shared security with a base chain. That sounds great at first sight. In fact, mm-hmm. it is great at first sight because like you can leverage these technologies like roll-ups or ZKs to effectively compress the state that has happened off-chain back into the layer one and save a lot on the execution and the state blow-up that would happen by just posting a, a final hash on the base chain, but it has a lot of trade-offs. This is something that escapes a lot of people. The problem with these technologies is that they have a significant amount of trade-offs for using them, and yet it's not clear whether we actually need full settlement on the layer one, right? Something that I often hear is like, let's say, let's get the example of Ape Chain, mm-hmm. um, and you know, we we made the proposal for Ape Chain to be on its own thing, and then everybody was like, no, we should use L2s because they share the security of the L1. Well, here's the question: first and foremost, do you really need the security of Ethereum chain? Question number two: if you're going to trade off so much programmability and usability and a bunch of other things, settlement and so on, time to finality and all these things, is it really worth it to do all of these trade-offs just so you can have this ability to have settlement on the layer one? Instead, the way to really view chains is the security should scale elastically with the amount of value in that chain. L2s are the form that, that force you to use the entire security of some other chain, but that should not be the case, that should not exist. Instead, you should have chains that scale up in security, in validation, in staking, and so on, as more value is accrued to them. This is exactly the approach that a subnet takes. A subnet is effectively a subset of the validators, and anybody can join them if it's a permissionless subnet. So if there, you have Ape chain, and you open it up for permissionless validation, people start now, if there's a lot of activity, and it truly is a very valuable chain, more and more people will start validating that chain because there is incentives, there's open market incentives for validating it because it's very valuable and so on. And so it scales up as the value is is built upon it. the exact same way that like Bitcoin and Ethereum have scaled up in security, right? Bitcoin and Ethereum are secure only because there's valuable activity happening on them or there's valuable assets on them. And a chain should not force to use the security of another chain if their applications are not deemed to be necessarily as secure. If there's just no need for them to be as secure, then, trading off all the usability that you would get from having a standard EVM chain would just not be worth it. And so this is something that escapes a lot of people. They, they really like think that, oh, okay, we must have the security of the base chain, and it's okay to trade off all these other goodies that you would get for having a subnet, for example, which has all the tooling you need, everything works, MetaMask works just out of the box, everything works smoothly. So you're trading all these things just so you can have the security. And it's in fact, probably the case that you can prove that the security is not needed. It's just way overkill for most applications. So subnets take this approach of just elastic on-demand security and you know L2s effectively trade it off completely.
0: But to just play devil's advocate for a second, I think one big issue that comes with subnets potentially is yeah. across subnet communication, which is not something that's necessarily easy right now. Yeah or maybe it's becoming easier. Yeah.
1: Well, right now it's in fact not even supported natively. So in fact, let's be clear, permissionless validation of subnets and cross subnet communication are both currently being developed. So subnets currently are permissionless. We have two subnets running uh, the, the main ones and they're both permissioned. It's not a matter of hard theoretical work. It's just a matter of implementation. We're working on upgrading Avalanche Go to support these. But I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, cross subnet communication is not gonna be hard. It's gonna be really just a matter of posting a bunch of signatures on the Avalanche main chain and moving assets from one side to the other. There is of course, direct subnet to subnet bridges that people are gonna build. You're gonna have this like N squared blow up, as right? Like as 10 uh, subnets come along that have a lot of value and you need bridges between them, now you need to suddenly 10 squared, hundred bridges to communicate with everybody else in the yeah. network. So, and that's actually creates a lot more interesting, useful activity, uh, right? Like subnets are a way to effectively start building up more and more activity, having more people build more bridges, more and more solutions, more products, more teams come and develop. So yeah, I mean, I'm not concerned about them not having communication right now. It's imminently doable and it's gonna be pretty straightforward to have it.
0: Understood. So what is the growth of, subnets looking like today
1: so there's two main ones currently in production and uh, they are both gaming subnets Mm -hmm. a big focus obviously is is gaming right now we're trying to get all the AAA gaming studios all the top studios publishers to try to develop subnets gaming subnets i mean ultimately at the end of the day we want gaming subnets that have games that are genuinely fun to play and people want to buy those assets rather than just you know be a game for the sake of being a game on a blockchain but growth wise we're focusing significantly on the on the gaming side we're focusing significantly on really like hardcore pro applications uh, like think of like like an ave pro or a uniswap pro type of thing institutional subnets so you know we want to get all of the big players to effectively have all these amm tools but uh, in kind of like a walled garden, that's going to be available through subnets. It's a massive market. I mean, if if it's done properly, that's a multi-trillion-dollar market. Uh, it changes the way that we do training and uh, tradfi pretty significantly. Of course, we're also focusing on more esoteric types of applications. We're focusing on uh, Rust-based subnets, so subnets that support you know Rust development, WASM, if for anybody that wants to develop them. And that's going to be a really interesting use case. That's not possible anywhere else. Just develop these. These new kinds of virtual machines, like that. What else? You know, we're we're focused on uh, some more kind of like limited types of uh, of subnets that do only specific kinds of things. Like for example, file storage. So we're basically, trying to think of about like a subnet that is only focused towards more like a filecoin type of work. So just storing files in a decentralized way. Uh, hashes of files in a decentralized way, key value stores. So there's a lot of different applications that can be built here. Some of them are we're, we're thinking through internally on the Avalanche side. Some are working with third parties. But yeah, I mean, I am hoping still that by the end of the summer, we were going to have like 1 million TPS across all subnets in the Avalanche ecosystem. I think the bear market is uh, is hitting pretty damn hard right now. So it might be a little bit difficult, but like my big milestone is across all segments in the Avalanche ecosystem, we're hitting 1 million sustained TPS, which is gonna be a pretty big milestone, but uh, you know, that's, that's the goal.
0: Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry leading compliance, market intelligence and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting chainalysis.com/slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is known for continually innovating within the world of Swiss watchmaking. A pioneer in the use of titanium and ceramics. IWC today specializes in highly engineered watch cases manufactured from advanced materials such as colored ceramics, serratanium, and titanium aluminide. This year's collection includes colored ceramic pieces in Lake Tahoe white and woodland green. Discover the new collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. So one hot topic, maybe it's controversial. I don't yeah. know, but we don't get to see what TPS looks like on Avalanche in the same way <laughs> that we we may be able to on other unnamed chains.
1: You can, you can. We can, you know, we can give you those that data. We can give you the RPCs and APIs for that. Uh, a big thing that we found was confusion around the the metrics. Between subnets and the C chain, so we wanted to avoid that confusion. People were only looking at the C chain metrics There's and C
0: chain and X chain.
1: Yeah, C chain, X chain. Break those down for me. Oh, so okay, good.
0: good so I don't, I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so everything in Avalanche is a subnet: X chain, C chain, P chain, all subnets as well. The P chain and X chain are going to be merged. P
0: chain's connected to the X chain. <laughs>
1: Correct. Uh, all of them connected. So XMP are just for for effectively platform management, like metadata. Who are the stakers? Staking things like that. You know what are the subnets? Registration. Uh, C chain is the contract chain. You know it's pretty self explanatory. You have the EVM. Yeah. You have contracts there, and then uh, you know you might have a R chain at some point. Although that that name is a terrible <laughs> connotation. <laughs> but a Rust chain, right? Rust EVM chain. That might be something else that comes along. But yes, those are just subnets. And yeah, so back to your controversial question, we were finding a lot of confusion. People were just pointing out towards just the C chain, and we we're like, "This is just, you know, silly." Yeah. Uh, so we're going to merge these data together, and so uh, you know that's why you know we kind of merged, coalesced all of the data between subnets into one. But yeah, we can make it open to you. Okay, Frank. sounds good. I appreciate <laughs> it.
0: Let's focus in on two primary use cases. You're obviously trying to make a case for the board ape. Yes. To move over. So that's NFT land, but sure. they're also probably gonna get into gaming and all sorts of I'm different sure are, different yeah. things. There's all this all this stuff is interconnected. Yes. But I would say there's an institutional element to Avalanche. I feel like that's kind of what got you guys started. But with subnets, I feel like the gaming use case is pretty clear. I want to talk about just the growth of gaming on Avalanche, but sure. maybe a specific question would be you know, token prices aren't good. What does that mean for actual usage? How do you see gaming tokens faring in today's down-bad market?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, gaming on the blockchain, really all you're doing is creating a market, a secondary market for in-game assets. That's ultimately what what a lot of it comes down to. And it's a great use case, let's be clear. Like, I was recently reading an article about, I forget which one, World of Warcraft maybe, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But basically decking out one of their like your character with all of the power upgrades and everything was something like a hundred and something thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, just to deck out your avatar. But here's the thing, you can't resell any of those totally. in-game assets. They're just yours, you can't do anything with them. And so gaming on the blockchain, it creates a secondary market for this, but there's not gonna be a secondary market that is useful if nobody wants to hold these assets and trade them and you know do everything with them. So gaming on the blockchain is meaningful long-term only if games are genuinely useful or There's genuinely demand for the assets there in the same way that there is demand for all the big name games, uh, World of Warcraft, whatever, everything else. I'm not a gamer myself hugely, but if a game is not, like people don't wanna hold the assets for a particular game, they're obviously not gonna fare well in a down market. They they fare well in a speculative market, but not in a down market. and. Uh, yeah. And building games, by the way, it's that are fun and people want to use, it's a pretty tough business, right? Like gaming studios, they spend billions of dollars in R&D, to try to get good games out.
0: I guess like to play devil's advocate with myself, Yeah, in a down market, the skins or whatever NFTs you use yeah. in a game, the value is going to drop, but at least there is points in time during which you can extract value from them.
1: It's like trading any collectibles. Have you ever traded collectibles? Did you ever do that?
0: No, I haven't.
1: Well, some people you know, do it actively and there's times when people really are not trading these things and market is bad. And there are certain times when they're doing it, right? And so it's a tough business. Building games that people wanna you like play with and they want the assets, it's a tough business. Uh, it's very hard. I do not expect all of the games on Avalanche to be successful. In fact, I probably expect most of them not to be successful. Most
0: Um, games aren't successful.
1: Exactly. Most games aren't. So, you know, I expect a very big tail distribution of games. There's going to be like one or two or three that within the next couple of years are going to be blowout hits, hopefully. And they become, you know, kind of mainstream games and their in-game economies become fully tradable on the blockchain. and There is great liquid secondary markets for them. So that's the kind of stuff that I would expect very much a tail distribution. But generally speaking, you know, most of the I know you were big into the step, walk step to earn, whatever, yeah, Stefan. Unfortunately, most of those guys will probably not go, do very well in a down market. So you might have to walk a little bit more during this down market. I know. Which is great because you have more time now.
0: I have, I have, <laughs> I, have, I, have I certainly have more time. Yes. Um, I need to figure out how to bike to earn now that I'm biking. In is there too.
1: something like you work and but that you also earn?
0: Yeah, is there work to earn? <laughs> We can call it Salary N. <laughs> have you noticed? Have you noticed? People are just really upset about uh, everything. <laughs> I know. Yes. What's the deal with all these crypto exchange CEOs just like losing their minds on Twitter? I, I don't know.
1: I don't, <laughs> look after you know Luna. I am not going to make any public statements about anybody because I, I am going to be in a world of hurt about making bad calls. You're
0: doing <laughs> you. You do a good job of. Um, being diplomatic.
1: I'm try. Look, I obviously don't know the internals of Luna or Three Arrows. That's the hot topic right now. I don't know anything about their internals. Uh, you know, it's you, you. try to do sometimes some diplomatic, you know, support publicly. Uh, but because you don't know their internals, mm. <laughs> they end up going not where you're where you think they would go because you're just guessing. And uh, and so I am not going to be in the business of guessing what any of these projects do or where they're going to go or what exchanges are doing right now, because certainly there's going to be somebody in a couple of days afterwards going to be like, Kevin, this aged well. so
0: Or this didn't. <laughs>
1: or this did not.
0: Yeah. I'm sure the lawyers have something to say as well. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I just thought it was funny. I, I saw someone tweeted something, and that's what made me think of it. So what other opportunities do you see in this market in the midst of all this uh, chaos?
1: Oh, I mean... Oh, that's a good question.
0: Has there been like a degree of pullback in terms of interest among institutions building out their own institutional subnet, DeFi subnet?
1: No, I think no, none at all. Institutions are, we're working with some very big names right now on building stuff, on using our technology. I don't think it has qualmed whatsoever. I think it's the same exact steady pace that it always usually is, working with, institutional players is in a glacially slow you know work but yeah no i don't think it has gone down the opportunities though i think the biggest opportunities right now are just to consolidate towards the winners right mm. like a lot of the hype dies down and uh now it's a great time for those that actually have the runway and have the resources to continue building so you know for right now i mean i am not the on the application building side i'm on the mm-hmm. infrastructure building side so i can't exactly imagine all the kinds of cool applications are going to be built during the bear market. But like last bear market, we had lending applications and all these things come out, right? Yeah. We'll see what happens in this bear market. All I know is that the opportunity for infrastructure builders like ourselves is to hopefully identify these players and support them during this bear market. And then, you know, hopefully the next cycle they, they get to succeed.
0: When people look at or think about the the benefits of crypto, right? It's supposed to be transparency, trustlessness, yeah. a more robust financial system built on first principles. And the last few weeks have kind of chipped away at that yeah. shiny armor.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I understand. It's it's look, I don't know that it's bad. I mean, look, funds having security crises and projects, you know, doing things that you know blow them out of the markets because they they overextend themselves. That's not exactly the fault of the blockchain, that's just bad risk management. So, you know, crypto is no different than most other markets in a lot of ways. It is more transparent, let's be clear. All the on-chain stuff, we can see what's happening. The problem is that there is still overextension of leverage. Uh, people love leveraging themselves up in this market and they end up blowing themselves up. But it's no different from TradFi, right? Like, Tiger you know, overextended itself at the top of the tech bubble just this past uh, a cycle and now they're down, I don't know, more than 50%. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, there's literally nothing new under the sun in the crypto mm-hmm. land. It just happens much faster and much more openly than everything else that happens in the TradFi markets. Mm-hmm. So what I do think we need though, is more transparency with what people hold in the markets, you know what their holdings are and so on. Then we can actually look at how things flow and so on much more transparently. But I think actually, genuinely speaking, crypto is a more robust market than TradFi markets. It's just, you know, because it doesn't have bailouts, things explode and there's nobody to save them. And when they explode, they explode really fast.
0: Yeah, I think because information moves so quickly. Way
1: quickly, yes. every You can see everything on chain. It just explodes instantly. There is nothing behind closed doors, you know, just kind of out there. But it's also a global market and the regulatory side is still in its infancy and needs to really catch up. I actually do support it in full. We need more transparency in these markets. We need more accountability in these markets. I think we need, like we need everybody that is building and has, Large holdings to disclose what they're holding and you know provide transparency. Like this is why these markets become resilient and robust. Uh, it's all about transparency, nothing else really. So, crypto can allow all of this stuff really well. It's just that we're still far behind on the regulatory side here.
0: Yeah, we're still in a relatively speculative phase.
1: Very much so. Yeah.
0: As well, what about a core wallet? Oh yes. People are asking about this on Twitter.
1: Yes, uh, yes, it's coming. Uh, we are hoping for a release this month. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be a great experience. I mean, like one thing that we wanna do that we've done I think well and we will continue doing is owning the user experience end to end. You know, this is something that it's it's not popular for most infrastructure builders. Like they build one component, they don't build end to end, right? But like interacting with Avalanche starts with the wallet and goes all the way down to the blockchain side and API. So we own the client building. We are trying to own the API side, but we also want to own the wallet side of things. We wanna make the experience really well. Core is part of that big push to get an incredible experience for all EVM chains out there. Uh, We support in full. It's gonna have Bitcoin bridging finally. We're opening up direct native Bitcoin transfers Mm. from Bitcoin directly on Avalanche, so we're gonna open up How's that gonna work? Yeah, it works through the Avalanche bridge, which is an SGX-based bridge. People are just going to be able to open up the core wallet, connect, you know, their ledger, and then just move Bitcoin directly over to Avalanche and uh, and start doing DeFi stuff with it. Hopefully there is demand for Bitcoin directly in Avalanche to be used in DeFi. And, you know, I think we're gonna do a big push for it. So that's gonna be a, a big exciting thing with core.
0: Will it basically be like a wrap Bitcoin, but on avalanche
1: not quite it's more of a direct bitcoin token on on the avalanche side i mean mm. if you want to think of it as as a rabbit Bitcoin, that's fine um rabbit Bitcoin is a contract this one is not quite a contract so it's more direct but and also Rab Bitcoin, it's custodial yeah right so it's this is not by bitco or something correct this is not that you, you still own all the keys got it
0: it's my keys correct your
1: keys you can hold off to your 0.3 Bitcoin now, finally.
0: I know. <laughs> Probably have less than that. <laughs> Just looking bad. It's really bad. But I'll weather this storm. I've weathered worse. So what's your outlook? What are, you, what are you excited for that we haven't talked about? Oh,
1: good question. I mean, my outlook earlier this year was bullish for some time until things got really bad in the in the macro frankly, the macro got way too bad way too quickly. <laughs> so it's clear that the macro is bad. We're not, it's not. This is not a systemic thing with crypto. Crypto going down right now has literally nothing to do with crypto itself. It's just, um, you know, it's being deleveraged and it's being yeah. forced to be deleveraged from the macro. So, you know, I'm not a macro theorist. I usually am an, I'm an optimist. Optimism has got me far. I'm not going to be a pessimist whatsoever because there's literally no point in it. So... And then you know, on the overlap side, we are uh, you know well suited to weather any bear markets. So, optimism is the only thing that's left, Frank. But all that we can have to do?
0: But not optimistic roll up. <laughs> we don't. No, those are fine too. Screw those. <laughs> no.
1: Frank, uh, you, you're saying that, not me. <laughs>
0: No, I'm I'm obviously kidding, dear listener. Um, well, this was super fun, Kevin. He's
1: not. He's winking at me in the studio.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm rubbing your thigh.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. I'd like
0: to thank you for coming on the show.
1: Frank, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for stopping by. Once again, we've been joined by our guest, Kevin Sechnicki, yes, sir. COO at Ava Labs. Where can um, they follow you on Twitter?
1: Kevin Sekhnicki on Twitter, and you can troll me all you want all day.
0: That's S-E-K-N-I-Q-I. That's right. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.